Lord. All right, tonight we're going to continue in the book of John. Last week I started a study of John 5, verses 18 through 24, all that done by way of the doctrine of the essence of God. And I want to review some of that learned last week. Then we're going to begin new material at point four on page three. And I think we had gotten all the way down to the essence called love. So now let's return then and take a look at the NIV of 5, 18, 19, and 20. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show you even greater things than these. So let's use 1 John 1, 9, and then we'll proceed on. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study Your Word. Guide us now and direct us as we do recognize that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, with reference to the essence of God and what God can do and how He does it, I thought it would be nice to just drop this chart in to our lesson plan. It's one I got out of one of the colonel's books. Uh, it was very interesting because for years he used to say that God did some things, some miracles out of his deity and some miracles out of his humanity. And I thought, well, that just doesn't make much sense. And then he came upon the idea that actually uh, he uh, did them all out of his humanity many, many things, certainly His miracles out of His humanity. And uh, that made sense because we have so many Scriptures that tell us that He learned by obedience by the things which He suffered and that He achieved perfection by the suffering and perfection by uh, living uh, in time and growing, meaning He came in as a baby and He didn't get any... uh, uh, God didn't give him any special jump starts, but indeed, he had to learn just like we have to learn. He had to grow just like we have to grow. And uh, though he had the, certainly some up, one-upsmanship in the, from the standpoint that he didn't have an old sin nature, but he could have acquired one at any time. Uh, and uh, therefore... It's important for us to understand that uh, He grew uh, by the same ways we grow, taking in the Word. And we've seen a little bit of that already, but you can see from this chart, His birth was just like our birth. 
except he was a lot poorer than most of us. Uh, and he, uh, of course, continued to be tempted and perform miracles based upon uh, the same techniques that we indeed see miracles happen. We don't do the miracles he, of course, could do. But certainly his apostles did. And, uh, uh, of course, his ascension, he left the earth. Uh, just as we're going to leave one of these days, either by the rapture or by their, our death, whichever comes first. So I thought this was a handy-dandy chart, wonderful chart, uh, where he showed he did things from his humanity. In other words, he didn't cross that heavy line. That line between deity and humanity is in his chart book is really heavy and black. I could have done that myself with a pen, but uh, I just mentioned that. He was in his humanity suffering as we suffer and performing as we perform. So we are to follow Him and become more like Him as we take in the Word of God. We can progress toward what He was, never reaching that, of course. But... uh, uh he told his disciples time and time again, chapter 14, 15, 16, 17 in the book of John, you've got to understand I'm going to leave and I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit and you're to go into Galilee and wait for power. And the Holy Spirit will come to you uh, just as he takes care of me now. So uh, we'll we'll proceed now with the essence of God. All right, and we'll see more as we study the essence of God, uh, get a better understanding of this chart. All right, John five twenty one. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He pleases to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. That is in time judgment, in addition at the great white throne, who's the judge? The Lord Jesus Christ. He does all the judging, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. So the doctrine of the essence of God, God is one in essence, that is to say the divine essences are resident in each member of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thus, their three personalities, one in essence, such essences are shared equally. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Isaiah 48.16 we noted. Matthew 3.16 and 17. And Colossians 2.9 duly noted. Alright, the one Godhead as can be seen from the above cited scriptures is made up of three personalities or manifestations. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The personalities of the Trinity are related just as there is one egg, there is also the yolk, the white, and the shell. Yet one egg. 
John 10, 30, 17, 11, and 7, 37 through 39, book of John. So you can see from these verses the intertwining of the several and collective personalities of the Trinity are uniquely three in one, separate but one. The essence of, of God are prevalent in each member of the Trinity. Sovereignty, righteousness, justice, love, eternal life, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, immutability, veracity. So we began to look at each one individually. First, sovereignty. He has supreme volition and always has possessed the powerful rulership of all things. And that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is no higher power or higher volition. All things are subject unto Him. Alright, everything falls under the permissive will of God. God desires the best for us, but because of our volition and our imperfect choices, He has to provide less than the best but perfect. Or He chooses to provide less than the best but perfect. He doesn't have to do anything. Alright, God is sovereign and there will come a time at the second advent when the Father will say to the Son, I said He will not have to do anything. Let me retract that. His, in His Word, uh, He's actually limited by His Word. His Word, of course, is, is sovereign. Whatever the, For example, that chart we have right there behind me, dispensation chart, everything on that chart is going to happen. Why? Because He said it. He said it in more than one case. So what He says will happen. So to that extent, He's limited. Only limited by His Word. So God is sovereign and there will come a time at the second advent when the Father is going to say to the Son, Now is your time. Implement Operation Footstool. Until then, however, the Lord laughs from heaven at how serious man considers him or herself. And we looked at a number of scriptures and you can see I've listed them there for you. Alright, righteousness, our second of the ten essences. God is absolute righteousness. His righteousness is independent and incomparable. The righteousness of God cannot have fellowship with the righteousness of man. And since man's righteousness is like filthy rags, a problem exists. But thankfully, God solved that problem. God recognized this in eternity past. That is the problem and made provision for the problem through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Isaiah 64, 6, Psalm 116, 5, 145, 17, Romans 3, 22, and 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Alright, our third of the ten. Justice. God is fair. It is impossible. It's impossible for Him to be unfair. The holiness of God is made up of His righteousness plus His justice. What the righteousness of God demands, the justice of God must execute. Because of His efficacious, effective sacrifice of Christ on the cross, God is free to deal with us as family. This because His righteousness was satisfied on the cross. He is free to do whatever He chooses to do because of the of the cross. Therefore, His justice will execute what His righteousness demands. That's such an interesting concept. And again, His justice must execute what His righteousness demands. 
So God is absolutely just because there's no iniquity in Him. There are two laws that we saw last week. Laws with reference to His righteousness as it relates to the believer's discipline. The first law, the law of volitional responsibility. God permits natural results of sin. Proverbs 5, 1-15. Hosea 8, 7. Romans 13, 1-7. Galatians 6, 7. We surveyed all of these last week. And the second law is the law of divine corrective action. God corrects to improve. Romans 5, 3 through 4, 1 Corinthians 11, 31, Hebrews 5, 8, and 12, 11. Alright, the justice of God works with the unbeliever in order to provide maximum environment, maximum pressure, and maximum reward to facilitate what? Faith alone in Christ alone. The Scripture makes clear mankind is without excuse. Never can it be said, God is not just and righteousness. Psalm 89.14, John 1.9, Acts 3.14, Galatians 1.28, 2.1, Titus 2.11, 2 Peter 3.9-10, and Revelation 15.3. In other words, man is without ex- has no excuse. Totally without excuse. God sees to it that everyone gets the Word and gets the understanding of the Word so that we are all, in fact, uh, as Titus 2.11 says, we're without excuse. And certainly also Romans 28, reading through verse 32. Alright, now let's look at where we stopped last week. Love. The Scriptures tell us, number four of the ten, God is love. And yet the Scriptures indicate there are two kinds of love. To understand divine or human love, we must know Bible doctrine. There is love which is an agape type of love. Verb form being agapao. This love depends on the subject to produce the action of love. For example... John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. So there is a love which is agape type. And again, that is a love that comes from who and what the subject is rather than who and what the object is. This is love from the ultimate. In the case of God, from His essence. In the case of mankind, this type of love can only come from pregnant doctrine and that doctrine which has been metabolized in the soul. Another way of saying pregnant doctrine, doctrine which will produce Metabolized doctrine. And we've been through that analogy that the Colonel has so wondrously provided. As doctrine is much like food that you intake. It will make its way to the right place and provide the oxygen to make certain cells uh, survive and produce. So our job is to get that word into our soul. Show up when doctrine is taught. 
Take it in, take it in, take it in. All right, now we can better understand why agape love must be produced by the believer. That is to say, only God or metabolized doctrine in the soul of a believer can produce agape love. But there is a phileo love, which comes as an emotional response because the object of the verb produces the action rather than the subject. Agape, the subject produces. Phileo, the object produces. As an example, one may love ice cream because of the nature of the ice cream. One may love chocolate because of the nature of the chocolate. One may love a friend or sweetheart because of the pleasant and appealing nature of the object of the verb. And that is a phileo kind of love. Not agape, which comes from the subject. All right, our study relates to an essence of God, which is the agape type. God always has the right mental attitude toward us. It has nothing to do with the object, the object being us. Once the righteousness of God is satisfied, then God is free to love us not only with agape love, but even with a philos kind of love. All right, uh, for example, God has both agape and philos love for Jesus and for the believer when we are obedient. So he actually has both when we're obedient. He loves what we have because he loves his word. His word is in us. So he has agape because of his nature. And then he has philos because we've done what he said to do. Obedient. Obedience. All right, now let's go to the fifth of the ten essences, eternal life. There never was a time when God was not. He has always been. We as believers, and in a sense, so does the unbeliever, have everlasting life, whereas God has eternal life. In a sense, the unbeliever does because he has a, he's going to have judgment and he's going to have pain and suffering. So everlasting life has a beginning but no ending. Eternal life has no beginning and no ending. Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. First letter of the Greek alphabet and last. The beginning and the ending saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And Revelation 1.11 saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, speaking to John, of course, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. All right, Revelation 21, 6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. A thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And Ephesians 2.10, quite a famous verse for us. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then the eternal life minutes, the eternal life minutes of the eternal life conference. 
48, 16, and 17. Christ speaking, come near unto me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was. There am I. Always have been. And now the Lord God in His Spirit has sent me. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. All right, omniscience, number six of the ten. God knows all things. Omni, of course, meaning all. And science meaning, of course, in this particular case, He knows everything, whatever. God knows all things. He is all-knowing and is not limited by time or choices. God knows the end and the beginning, as we have seen. Nothing has been hidden from Him. Psalm 147, verse 4. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Someday we'll know the name of all the stars. But He knows them. And uh, He went through quite a little dissertation with Job about all the things he knew that Job didn't know. All right, uh, Isaiah 46.10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, which is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Isaiah 41.26, who told of this from the beginning so we could know, or beforehand so we could say he was right. No one told of this, no one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. And then Job 37.16, when he was talking about, this is where actually chapter 37 begins, his little dissertation with Job about, so you think you know? Well, if you have done the things that I have done and you were there when I did those things, then you can question me. Otherwise, don't question me. And that was the lesson that Job had to learn. And that man was something else. If that's all he had to learn. Uh, we are so short of Job that it's uh, impossible to really relate to that man. Job thirty-seven sixteen. Do you know how the clouds hang poised? Those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge. And of course he's reciting all of these things to him because he has questioned God, why am I in this condition? And God says, well, if you would do this, and if you knew that, and if you knew this, and if you... And he just goes on and on and on. You you want to say as you read all that, uh, please stop. <laughs> you know, stop. The guy's in trouble, you know. You're telling were you there when I taught the, you know, the stars to sing, and when I told the sand how to go out and how the sand to come in with the ocean. And I even taught the alligator how to go to find his prey, you know, even if it was a little baby in Africa. You know, that's what you do. Or a dog. <laughs> we we were watching show the you know, TV uh, where this guy was, he said, I'd had my brandy. He was an older guy. I'd had my brandy and I'd lit my cigar and I had my little puppy. It looked like those kind of dogs that the queen has. I forget. But anyway, on a leash, he's walking him along. He's, apparently, he lived in some place that had you know 
beautiful condominiums and so forth in Florida. And uh, there was a pond there. And all of a sudden, an alligator comes out of the pond and grabs his little dog in his mouth, you know. And this guy, he looked like he might have been, what time, 65, 70, maybe 70 years old. He jumped into the water. <laughs> he grabbed that alligator by the, by the jaws, you know, and took his hand and opened his mouth, and the little dog ran out. <laughs> and uh, then he put it back down, held it down, and pushed the alligator back into the water. And all he had was one finger hit. Got a tooth had gotten into his finger, and he had to have a tetanus shot. But uh, I tell you, he was a tough old bird. Uh, it was a very interesting show. And of course, God taught the alligator that here comes the puppy, <laughs> and you're going to get a shot. But you only got one shot because this old man's going to kick your butt. <laughs> you know? And indeed, he did. All right, let's go on here. So I make known the end from the beginning. Do you not know how the clouds hang poise those wonders of him who is perfect in knowledge? All right, certainly the scriptures teach God's love and knowledge all being part of his omniscience. And uh, it's important for us to certainly understand that and continue to stay in the word. Now let's go to omnipresence. He's everywhere. He's here with us right now. He's listening. He's, uh, he knows. There were time when he, another time when he didn't know, as we saw in the previous number six. So God is ever present, a difficult concept beyond both empiricism and rationalism. All right, God is not limited by time or space. God is both a product of effect outside the mind, inherent with all and beyond the limits of experience. God is therefore in the heaven and the earth simultaneously. Jesus is agreeing to become human involved the imposition of many self-imposed restrictions, not the least of which was his omnipresence. He chose to believe Jesus chose to be in one place at one time because there never was a time when he wasn't omnipresent in eternity past, but he chose limitations. And that's hard for a lot of people to understand, including yours truly. All of these essences he had, and yet he chose to limit these essences in order to serve God's plan. God came up with the plan, Christ agreed to execute it, and the Holy Spirit agreed to reveal it. All right, so God is not limited by time or space. God is both a product of effect outside the mind and inherent with all and beyond the limits of experience. He is therefore in the heaven and the earth simultaneously. So Jesus agreeing to become human involved the imposition of many self-imposed restrictions, and not the least of which was his omnipresence. So two sobering thoughts. You and I cannot escape the presence of God. He therefore does not ever leave us, even in times of great distress. Jeremiah sixteen seventeen. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. Jeremiah twenty three twenty four. Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven, fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. 
1 Kings 8.27, But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Again, with reference to the building of the temple. And uh, this prayer of Solomon there is a wonderful prayer. Sometime if you want to read a wonderful prayer. A great prayer. Alright, Isaiah 66, one. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? I, I see a little bit of sarcasm there as he was building this temple for God to live in. And, uh, it was a great place because he says someday you're going to be dispersed and you're going to need to know where it is because you're going to turn to it when you pray and you're going to open your window and you're going to look toward the temple though you be in Babylon and when we sin we need a place to acknowledge says Solomon as he was putting the temple together when we sin there are several places in the scripture that say we sin mankind sins and one of them is when Solomon was building the temple and was talking about it. All right, acknowledgement and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other, says Deuteronomy 4.39. Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. And then Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake. Alright, the eight of the ten. Omnipotent. All-powerful. And limitless in ability. For example, God is mighty to save those who believe. To believers, he makes known what is the exceeding greatness of his power. He is mighty to keep the believer, and nothing and no one can remove us from the earth until it's the Lord's time. And there is nothing too hard for God. There is nothing impossible with God. Scriptures, Psalm 147.5, Great is our Lord, and mighty in power his Understanding has no limit. Psalm 93, 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. And then the famous verse in Isaiah 55, 11. So is my word. So is my word that goeth forth from my mouth. It will not return unto me void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Alright, Genesis 17.1 When Avram was 90 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And Ephesians 1.19, in his incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength. 
All right, First Peter one five. Who through faith are shielded by God's power unto until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Jeremiah thirty two twenty seven. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is there anything too hard for me? Job forty two two. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. Luke one thirty seven. For nothing is impossible with God. Isaiah forty verse eight. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Ecclesiastes 3.14 I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere Him. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. First says 5.24 The one who calls you is faithful and He will do it. And then immutability. Immutability. God is absolutely stable. He's never been in a slump and He never changes. You can count on God or... To never change. His word is unchangeable. His works are unchanging. The person of Christ and his thinking are immutable. You and I are totally unstable and desperately need the stability of his mind. God is faithful to always deliver us from pressure and from testing. He is faithful in the administration of his plan for each and every one of us and in his provision for all of us. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Repeat it. The one who calls you is faithful and will do it. He is immutable. No doubt. 1 Peter 1.25. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And then Isaiah 40 verse 8. God my The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Hebrews 6.18 God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us be greatly encouraged. So the word of the Lord stands forever and This is what we have had preached to us in His Word. Alright, veracity. Truth, in other words. Ultimate truth. God is absolute truth. An expression of His righteousness. God's veracity is manifested in His ways. God is said to be full of grace and truth. Man is a liar, but God is truth. Wisdom has always existed even before the name of God. Wisdom and truth are synonymous. Deuteronomy 32.4, for example, He is the rock. His works are perfect and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is He.
Psalm 25:10 All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. Love and faithfulness says Psalm 85:10 meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Psalm 10:11 Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Revelation 16:3 The second angel Poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead man. And everything, everything living in the sea died. Romans 3, 4. Not at all. Let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Job 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is that the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So in conclusion, again a chart that I borrowed from the current. Very self-explanatory. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal. Sovereignty, righteousness, justice, love, eternal life, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, immutability, and veracity. Now let's see what we can learn from John 5, 25 through 32. King James Version. Verily, verily, a truth to truth, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming into which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own do nothing, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses, witnesseth of me is true. Of course, John the Baptist. Alright, the NIV of those verses, I tell you the truth, a time is coming, and now has come, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge, because He is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming, when all who are in their graves will hear His voice, and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. So I think the best way to study these verses is to review, at least in part, because it's very, very extensive, the doctrine of the post-resurrection appearances of Christ. 
So we'll pick up there with the post-resurrection appearances of Christ uh, whenever. We'll have to be careful with the weather. And again, right now, uh, I don't think we're going to have church on Sunday. All right, let's close her out with a prayer. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of living in the United States of America. We see our country today with all manner of controversy. And yet we know that above it all is You with all of Your essences. And so we do ask, Father, that You would guide and direct our leadership You would make changes where necessary and You will hold forth as necessary. So now, Father, I would certainly want to make clear that there is a way of salvation and that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. For all have sinned, says the Scripture. All we like have gone astray, in fact. We've all turned to our own way. We are all like sheep who have gone astray. But the Lord hath laid upon Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all, says the Scripture. And we know You as Lord of the universe, God of the universe, with all of these wonderful essences in charge. And You provided the way. So whoever has... Listen to this and has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Solve a big problem in your life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I ask these things in Jesus' name and ask, Father, that you would take that which I have presented, make it real, so that we might become more like our Lord and Savior. In His name I pray. Amen.